He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Hope Ames is so good to see you. My name is Danny Householder. If we don't know each other yet, I'm the campus pastor here, and we really do believe it's no accident that you're here. We have been praying for you, and so we're so glad that we get to worship with you together. It does not, uh, it does not escape me that last year we didn't get to do this, and so I'm just so grateful to our good and gracious God that this year we do get to gather. I thank you for following the protocols, for wearing the masks over your mouths and noses and maintaining social distance. I'm so grateful that our city has a room like this where we're able to do this and gather together. It is a good, awesome day, isn't it? Can we give God praise for it? It is good. Good to be here. The greatest storytellers of history and today are wordsmiths. They know how to use words because they know this. Words are powerful. They don't just tell us something, but when they're used in the right way, they can actually make us feel something. They can show us something. They can help us know something. They can help us believe something. Words are powerful, aren't they? When I was in third grade, I learned for the first time that I liked to write. I liked to use words, but at the beginning of the school year, I did not like to write, and I did not like to use my words, at least on paper. At the end of every single week, we would write in our journals, and in our journals, we would write a letter to our parents about what we did that week. And I thought this was the most boring thing in the world. It made no sense to me. I would complain to my teacher, Mrs. Aikison, why don't I just tell them about it When I see him later, I'm going to see my parents. Why don't I just do that? My parents were concerned because I'd get home and I would have no more than three sentences written about my entire week. They're like, Danny, surely you must be doing more than this at school. It was also concerning because if you don't know, I grew up in a preacher's family and words are supposed to come easy for us. Like, what is going on with our son? He doesn't like words. He doesn't write. What's going on? And I'd be back in the classroom and my teacher, Mrs. Agason, saw it as a learning opportunity. So she challenged me. She said, Danny, I'd like you to write a little bit more this week. And so maybe I wrote four sentences. Next week, I'd like you to write a little bit more. Okay, maybe five sentences. Until I started to complain again. Why don't I just tell them about it? And Mrs. Agason told me something that has struck me ever since. She said, Danny, when you use words, you don't just tell people things. But when you use them in the right way, you can show them something. You can help them feel something. Your words can help someone experience something. Words are powerful. And suddenly I had this whole new perspective on words, on writing, on putting words on paper. And now I became the kid who wasn't writing two sentences, but I became the kid who was so competitive with myself. I got to write more. This is so fun. I can show my parents what I did this week. I wanted to invite them into my experiences. I wanted them to know what it felt like when I was running the last corner of the mile. And so I wrote as a third grader, when I'm running the last leg of the mile, I feel like my legs are as heavy as the tree trunks in Joey's backyard. An actual quote from Danny in third grade. I wanted them to feel it. I wanted them to experience it. And then it got to a point where my parents and teachers said, okay, Danny, you've written enough. Stop. I remember, I remember, I kept track of it. The longest letter I ever wrote home was seven pages and 13 lines of loose sleeve paper. I couldn't get enough of it. I found that words were powerful when they're used in the right way. Of course, words are not given power because of their quantity, but instead the weight of the word. How do words make you feel? What are the words that make you believe something? They show you something. They make you remember something, to know something. Words are powerful, aren't they? Even simple, small words. Take a look at this word, puppy. Simple word, but you heard it, didn't you? 
It didn't just tell you, it showed you. But then at the same time, there are words that aren't so positive. There are mosquitoes. And I tried to find the least threatening picture of mosquitoes that I could find. And Google Images is a disgusting place. <laughs> but I didn't want to ruin your Easter. Sometimes it's not so great. How about cyclones? Huh? Yeah? That makes you feel good. Makes you feel something. How about Hawkeyes? That's, I don't, you know, I look up Hawkeyes on Google and that's what I find. <laughs> Everyone knows it. It's just, it's good to be a cyclone. How about victory? Anybody see that shot last night? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I had a new analogy for the sermon about 10 o'clock. Man, it was wild. This one hurt. How about defeat? That was a tough one. About a week and a half ago when the cyclones got ripped off. <laughs> it made us feel something. It made us know something. How about love? Did that make you feel anything? How about hate? That word's been in our world for a, a long time. And it seems to be popping up a lot lately. How about death? These words, they don't just tell us something, they show us something. They make us feel something. But what do you know about resurrection? That's a powerful word. Resurrection. It's a word that the great wordsmiths, the great storytellers cannot help but put onto their papers, into their movies. The clip that I showed you was just a small example of what we've got out there today. It is a powerful word. And there's no other word that seems to suffice for resurrection. There are synonyms, resuscitation. But imagine if when James Bond is asked, what's your hobby? He says, resuscitation. <laughs> it kind of loses the beauty, doesn't it? I mean, resuscitation is a good word, right? I mean, it's a miraculous word. I mean, when a life seems like it's gone, when a body seems like it's dead and breath comes back into it, that is miraculous. And yet, it's not quite like resurrection. Because if a body is resuscitated, the wounds still exist. The scars, the gashes, the bruises, it will still take time to heal. But resurrection is different. Resurrection is powerful. Resurrection is total and complete healing. Resurrection is entirely new life. Resurrection is the body brought to perfection. Resurrection is a powerful word, and it meant a lot to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He used a powerful word to tell us exactly who he is. Jesus did not say, I am the resuscitation in life. He said, I am the resurrection in life. I am new life. I am complete healing. I am perfected existence. To make it very clear, Jesus goes on to say, anyone who believes in me, even though they die, they will live. Anyone who believes in me will never die. He makes it clear here. I want you to know I am resurrection and resurrection is power. I am making claims that no one else has been, ever been able to live up to before. What a word. What a statement. What a power Jesus is claiming with his words. And there's something especially uh, spectacular about the word that Jesus used for resurrection. 
The biblical authors, they wrote in Greek, and when they assigned a word to Jesus for what he said about resurrection, they used the word anastasis. Everybody say anastasis. Anastasis, it's not resuscitation. It's not simply breathing again. It is new life. It is complete healing. It is perfected existence. It is physical. It is actual reality. The body is back to new life. There is something spectacular about this word. I know that maybe it has become popular to say these days, well, it's just a metaphorical resurrection that Jesus was talking about. But that's not the word. The word is specifically physical, real, new, complete, perfected existence. It is new life to the fullest. Jesus does not give us the option of a metaphor. This is real new life. Jesus was at a funeral when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He's at a place where they're surrounded by that really tough word, death. And he brings in a life-giving word, resurrection. And he's saying this to the sister of the man who's died. Her name is Martha. And he says to Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe in resurrection? Do you believe in hope despite despair? Do you believe in life despite death? Do you believe in light that shines into the darkness? Do you believe in resurrection? And he asks it to Mary, or he asks it to Martha 2,000 years ago, and he can ask it to you today too. Do you believe in resurrection? Do you believe in hope despite the brokenness around us? Do you believe in the power of a word so good, even when the words that are surrounding us right now hurt? Boy, that would be nice if it's true. If Jesus really can live up to that word. If that word truly is as powerful as Jesus says that it is. That would be nice, wouldn't it, for all of us. I know that when I had the opportunity to preach and teach here at Hope Ames, I talk to people from all different walks of life. I talk to people with different perspectives. I talk to people who have a different perspective and story than they did last Sunday. And maybe you're here today because you were simply obligated to come with someone. And I just want to tell you, I'm so glad that you're here. And I think it's so neat that you have so much compassion in your heart that even though you're skeptical about these things, you thought that it was worth to bring joy to the person that you came here with, to be here for them. It was enough for you to see that that person was glad that you're here. You might be surprised to learn that God's glad you're here too. Maybe for others of you, you're coming in here and you're trying to get rid of something. You're riddled with guilt you're trying to break the addiction. You're trying to break the habit. You're trying to leave the past behind, but you're starting to wonder if that could ever happen. You're wondering, does God still love me? Is his resurrection for me still? God still loves you. You can believe in resurrection too. And there are those in this room who've gone to church their entire life. They've identified as a Christian their entire life. I've identified as a Christian my entire life. But I can tell you that there have been many seasons in my life where I've walked through darkness, where I've walked through doubt, where I've walked through anger. And I need resurrection too. This is for all of us. The power of the word resurrection, if it's true, changes everything for every single person in this room, no matter who we are. No matter our story, no matter our perspective, this is where we meet. That we have this need for the power of a resurrection. The power of a word like that. It'd be nice. What's your last year been like? What kind of words have been thrown your way? I'm really glad to tell you that the last year of my life has been the greatest year of my life because a lot of the words that I've heard 
At the top of the list, it was on June 27th, I stood across from my wife, Abby, and she said the words, I do. Everyone was shocked. They couldn't believe it. She actually said that? (laughs) And we got married. Best words I've probably ever heard. In July, I heard words from you, my church family, when you called me to officially be an ordained pastor at Lutheran Church of Hope. Good words. Later that same month, my brother and sister-in-law called us and they told us that they were pregnant, they're having a baby, and in January they had little Addison Rose, just look at her! Ah, good words. Called us, she's born, she's here! I've been freaking out for three months, I can't wait to get out there and meet her. But here's the interesting thing, that even when we're surrounded by good words, there can also be the presence of bad words too. Charles Dickens writes at the beginning of his famous novel, A Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Charles Dickens is one of the greatest wordsmiths of all time, one of the greatest storytellers of all time. Chose his words carefully there and appropriately too. It is possible for us to be walking in seasons of joy and simultaneously in seasons of pain. I can tell you, and I'm glad to tell you, the last year of my life was the best year of my life. And to my great shock, the best year of my life was also the most difficult year of my life. Because of the words that I heard. It was on July 28th that I got a phone call from my mom. Some of you know the context of this already. She was driving back from Chicago. She had gone there to care for her brother, who was in the final days of his battle with ALS. I loved my uncle so much. He didn't have any kids of his own. He was never married, and so he treated his nieces and nephews like his own children. We were really, really close. My mom calls me, and she said, Hey, Danny, I think you should hear these words from me. Uncle Joe died today. It's amazing how the hard and difficult words will just captivate your soul. I was on my way to a prayer event for our church, and there was noise, but I couldn't hear anything else. Those were the words that struck me. It struck a very loud chord for me. It was deafening. As a pastor, I've learned in the last year that hard words surround all of us. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of you where really difficult words have come up. Words like COVID positive, words like cancer, tumors, depression, anxiety, abandonment, pain, hatred, bigotry, racism, big, awful words. And it's difficult, isn't it? I think that I've learned over the last year, especially that when I stand up here to preach, I'm not just telling people who need to hear good words. I know that I need the good word too. I'm not telling you about the worst year of my life to tell you that my life is any harder than yours. In fact, from hearing your stories, I know that relatively speaking, my life is a cakewalk compared to what you're going through right now. But we all need a good word. I know that some of you have been surrounded by the difficult words for so long that it's starting to feel like you lived there. 
But hope breaks through. Light shines into the darkness. You may be living there now, but it is not your permanent address. Jesus Christ has joined you in the hurt. You are with Jesus, and Jesus is with you. He still provides his good word for you. Jesus goes into these places. In Romans chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Since we have been united with him in a death like his, we will also be raised to life as he was. The good word is still for you. In the simultaneous seasons where we're surrounded by the good and we're surrounded by the bad, Jesus Christ still has a word that speaks life into our existence, no matter how tired or weary we've become. Because it says that when we go into those places of suffering, it's not that Jesus goes there and joins us. It's that when we go into those places of suffering, we are going to where Jesus already exists. It's not just that Jesus is with us. It's that now we are with Jesus when we go into those places. He will not leave you alone. He will not stop speaking to your heart. He will not stop giving you a word. Jesus joined us in a death, and we get to join him in a resurrection. That's the word that Jesus gives to us. You get the resurrection. You get this power. You get the complete healing. You get the perfected existence. You get new life. You have hope for despair. You have peace over anxiety. You have life over death. Oh, how sweet this word is. How much our soul longs to hear a word like that. And when it does, our soul just screams and dances. How refreshing it is when we're surrounded by the bad, the difficult words. What are the things that you hear that makes you want to go away into the corner and not come out again? What are the things that you hear that would make you prefer just to live in silence? Let me compare it to country music. I know that's a super controversial statement in the state of Iowa, but I'm just, if you like it, good for you. I think that's amazing. That's awesome. That's wonderful. But for me, when that twangy sound comes into my ear, I just want to break. Those are sound waves that just collide with my eardrums. My wife loves country music. And I love her. And I married way up. So we listen to country music. And so I spend a lot of time in brokenness. And then I just look over at her and I realize, okay, you're getting a good deal. It's good. But man, what about when you hear that song, that sound, that word that your soul wants to dance to? That your soul wants to sing for? Because it's almost as if your soul was created for it. That word, that sound. Every single summer at Hope, we have vacation Bible school, and it looked different this summer than it has in summers past. But this, this past summer, it was online. But in years past, it looks more like this. This was Hope Ames Vacation Bible School a couple of years ago. This is uh, Vacation Bible School down in West Des Moines, which is wild. That's church. Oh, my goodness. It's like a rave. What are they doing? And then this is another picture of what has happened in Hope Ames before. And it eventually gets to that point where the kids just respond and they just shout and they scream and their souls cannot help but respond to that music, that noise. When we start off the week, we're telling the kids all sorts of nice words. We're playing songs for them, but they're a little apprehensive. They look a lot more like this when they first come like, uh, what's happening? You got those cute, you know, six-year-olds up front and they're like, well, I don't know about this. And they're like... Like, hey, God loves you. Okay. You want to sing a song? I don't know. You got the kids in the back who are a little cooler, a little more developed. Like, I don't know about this, you know. <clears throat> yeah. 
But then there comes a point, there's this song that their souls and their spirits just cannot help but dance for, as if they were created to move to it. It's a song, it's called Water Walk. This song blows my mind. Have you ever heard this? I like can't, like, I would just tell you about it, but I gotta actually show you this. Because words don't just tell you, words show you. And this song comes on, and the kids who were once like, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. It just, the fear evaporates, and they can't, it's just, here you go. Because when your soul hears a song and a noise that you can't resist, you're just designed for it. You're created for it. And you can't stop. And you're like, what's happening to me? And I think I know something. All of you want to stand up and do it. So go ahead. Stand on up. Dance. Move. I'm so serious, Balcony. Stand on up. Stand. I don't care if you don't know the moves. If you're not standing, your soul's not responding the way it needs to. Here we go. All right, here's where it gets intense. You ready? Your soul can't help it. It just feels good. You just want to do it. This is what you were made for. Oh no, I'm getting tired. It's really hot. Oh, what have I done? I still can't stop because my soul is created for this. Woo! I can't stop. Oh man, this is what your soul was created for. Give yourself a round of applause, that's amazing. Oh God, oh Lord have mercy. I don't know why I keep on thinking that I can do that in a sermon and preach the rest of the way. That is the look of a dejected man who's realizing he's getting older and he can't keep up with the, with the youth movement in front of him. Did you see the kid in the front? How well he just... That's <laughs> what his soul was made for. His name's Preston. He's a good guy. Man, don't you see? That's just a metaphor, but it's true. There are certain sounds. There is a certain voice that your soul was created by and created for. And when it hears the voice, when it hears the word, it cannot help itself. The soul realizes, I was made for this, and I was made by this. Creation comes from a word, you know that? In Genesis chapter 1, it tells us that God creates with a word. God doesn't just tell with a word, but God shows with a word. He creates with a word. He brings life with a word. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Creation comes from a word. Creation is made by a word and for a word. Just a little bit later, God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You were made by a word. You were made for a word. Your soul was made to hear this word, to see this word, to see the world through this word. But it's so interesting there. It says, God says, let us. God saying us how does that make sense? Well, it's interesting because at the beginning of the passage, it says that in the beginning, there was nothing but God's spirit hovered over a formless existence. And so we start to get the picture. There's the creator God, and then there's God's Holy Spirit. And the creator speaks, and then the Holy Spirit activates creation. But the word, 
the Holy Spirit activates based on the word. And it's this mysterious thing. God's saying us, and we're not really getting the full picture of it. But then in John, the same book that we read our Bible reading from today, in John chapter 1, it talks again about creation and about how creation comes from a word, about how you were made by a word and for a word. And it says, in the beginning, the word that God spoke already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. It's so interesting because already it is identifying the word as God, but clearly it's also showing the word as something that is distinct from the creator God. The same and yet distinct. We're remembering that God said, let us make human beings in our image. The scripture, the scripture goes on to tell us this about the word, and it surprises us, it shocks us, because now it's giving a name to the word, but it doesn't, give the, it doesn't just simply give an object to the word. When it gives a pronoun for the word, it doesn't say it, it says he. He. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. The word is a person? The word is living? Yes. The word is alive. The word doesn't just tell you, but the word shows God to you. The word is breathing. His life brought light to everyone. The word shines into those dark quiet places to provide you with the, with the voice that your soul longs to hear. The light shines into the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. This word is living. It is breathing. It's not just telling, but it is showing. And it is helping us know. It is helping us see it is helping us experience, it is helping us feel, and it is helping us believe in the word that we were created by and created for. Then tells us in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became human and made his home among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. The word of God has a name. The word of God is not just telling you something. The word of God is showing you God. The word of God has a name. The word of God is Jesus Christ. And the word of God is God's perfect son revealing God's self to us. Not just telling us about God, but shaking our hand and saying, I'm here to meet you and love you and care for you and introduce you to the word that spoke you into existence. To introduce you to the word that your soul cries to hear. This is the word. It's amazing. It says that the word shines light into the darkness. This is sounding like resurrection. This hope in despair. This life in death. What a word. How could Jesus be a word like that? What does that mean? Well, what does it mean to be without it? When was the time that you were lost and you couldn't pick up a voice that you recognized? Do you remember that feeling? One of the scariest times of my life when I was lost was in 1999. It was at the Brickyard 400. I went with my dad and my brother. And there at the Brickyard 400 that day, there were 325,000 people. The stadium seats 250,000, and it was known that there were 75,000 people in standing room. Enormous, one of the biggest sports spectators crowds of all time. And as my dad is holding on to my brother and my hands, we're walking through this crowd and he's trying to navigate through 325,000 people, 325,000 voices. 
And as a seven-year-old, I got distracted. I let go of my dad's hand, and very quickly, I was lost. And this buzz, this loud noise surrounds me, but I can't pick up a voice. The noise is deafening, but nothing is familiar. Words are being said, but no word for me. Start looking around, you're trying to hear, you're trying to listen. It's what it feels like to be lost. And it's terrifying. If you know anything about NASCAR in the 90s, it is terrifying to be lost in a crowd in NASCAR in the 90s. Because there are a lot of voices, and those voices belong to some very peculiar looking people. I'm talking about mullets that have less tame than the horsepower in Jeff Gordon's DuPont Chevrolet. You know what I'm saying? Terrifying. I ain't your daddy. <laughs> I know you're not. Just as I was starting to become overwhelmed with the noise around me, I heard a voice. I heard a word. One word to be specific. And it was from a voice that I knew, and a voice that knew me. Danny! Danny! Da Danny! <laughs> Starting to get like frustrated. I'm right here. Danny! It's my dad calling me, and then my brother and his nine-year-old voice. Danny! <laughs> oh, we found you! you know. I wasn't forgotten. A voice that loved me and knew me came for me. That was the sweetest sound. Behavioral experts will tell you that the sweetest sound to a human being is the sound of their own voice or is the sound of their own name, no matter what language that is. The sound of your own name. And to hear it coming from someone who loves you. Jesus says in the book of John later on in this book, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. Why? Because I am a voice that has taken the time to know them. I am a voice that knows their name. And my voice created them and they were created for my voice. And so they follow me. They cannot help it. Their soul longs to dance with me. Jesus is a voice that knows you and knows your name. Your soul was created by him and for him. Dance with him. Move with him. Walk with him. Live with him. See everything not only that he has to tell you, but everything that he has to show you. He has God to show you. This is the Jesus that you can know. The Jesus who speaks love and life and care and resurrection into seemingly hopeless places. No wonder that when they killed Jesus, his friends were so devastated and so broken, so hurt, so full of despair, so lost in the noise, some backed away into silence. It wasn't just that they killed their friend, it's that they killed the word that they were created for and created by. They lost their purpose. So when it seemed like the word had been silenced forever, they fall into deep mourning. It talks about Mary, who is the sister of Martha that we talked about earlier. Mary shows up to the tomb one Sunday morning, very early before the sun comes out. And it says that she comes to the tomb and she finds that the stone where they rolled her word, her voice, her reason for existence, her savior, her Jesus, they realize that she realized that he's not there. The stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Wasn't it enough that they silenced him? What are we going to do now? Instinctively, she runs to her friends, friends that knew Jesus as well. This is John and this is Peter. John is the one that wrote the book that we're reading from today. 
the gospel according to John. Except when it says that she goes and she finds Peter and John, it says she goes and she finds Peter and, and John doesn't name himself as John, instead John names himself as the one whom Jesus loved. What confidence. John is one of the great wordsmiths of all time. Just read his book. His storytelling is beautiful. His imagery is marvelous. What he's able to do, it's fantastic. And yet he's filled with this confidence. He's a peculiar guy. The one whom Jesus loved. Maybe the other disciples let him get away with it because scholars will tell us that when, J when John was following Jesus, he was probably in his late teens, maybe barely 20 years old. He's so filled with confidence that he says things like this. The other disciple, meaning John, outran old Peter and reached the tomb first. And then when old Peter came huffing and puffing into the tomb and saw that the body wasn't there, it says that John saw and believed. John saw and he was filled with confidence. He saw and he knew. Where did John's confidence come from? He wasn't arrogant. He didn't identify himself as the disciple who was the greatest. He identified himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. He identified himself based off of Jesus. He found his identity in the word that created him. He was confident. And so when he saw, he believed. He knew. His confidence was confirmed. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you are full of faith on this Easter Sunday. Maybe you see and you believe. Maybe you've been shown. Maybe you know. Maybe you've experienced it. And if that's you, I want to encourage you. I want to cheer you on. Keep running the race. Get ahead of us. Lead us to the place of faith. Show us. But then there are others of us who feel like Mary. It says that while this is happening, Mary is outside the tomb and she's crying. She doesn't know. I feel like that lately. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what word's going to come my way next. She weeps. It says that just as Mary's gathering herself, she's about to leave, she passes by a man that she doesn't recognize. The Bible quickly tells us that the man is Jesus, but, Mar but Mary did not recognize Jesus. You see, the last time that Mary saw Jesus, he was being crucified. They obliterated his body to the point where he didn't even look human anymore. He had gashes and wounds and bruises, bloodied and beaten. And so if she had seen Jesus walking, she would know it was Jesus. Look for the guy who looks half dead. But this man was complete. This man was whole. This man was healed. This man's body had been perfected. It had fulfilled all existence. Because Jesus was not resuscitated. Jesus was resurrected. And here's Jesus resurrected from the dead in all his glory and all his strength. He's gone into death, but he's defeated it. And he's come out to speak glory over creation. And how does he do it? This is where the story gets mightily beautiful. This is where the words hit me the most. This is where I cannot take my eyes off the page. This is why I have to keep on reading. Because Jesus, who does he show up to when he resurrects from the dead? 
You might think that when Jesus shows up back from the dead, he's full of strength. He's going to burst into Rome, blast into Caesar's palace, and flex his muscles and redeem the people of God and say, you don't stand a chance against me. You're weak. Look at my strength. I'm God. When Superman comes back, Superman stops a plane from falling to a violent death. It's heroic. Everyone sees it. He's flexing his muscles. But Jesus isn't flexing his muscles. He's speaking tender words to his friend who's sad. Shows up to a woman named Mary. Mary. It wasn't that long ago that this same Mary was known in her community as the possessed woman. The crazy lady. Nobody would have believed anything she ever said. They thought she was nuts. Scholars, whether they believe in Jesus or not, they'll tell you, if anyone's going to make up a new religion, if anybody's just going to come up with something on their own, they wouldn't write it like this. They wouldn't have Jesus, the superhero, show up to the broken, hopeless woman. But this isn't Superman. This is the word. This is your God. You see how passionate he is for you? He could stand on the pedestal of the universe, but he comes to you. And he speaks tenderly soft and gentle words. He says to Mary, Mary, what are you doing here? Maybe the sound waves bounce off of Mary's eardrums, but they don't stick. Yes, Mary, who are you looking for? Have you ever been so hopeless that no matter what someone says to you, you don't believe it? So Jesus goes to one word. He says the one word that will be the sweetest noise she's ever heard. He says, Mary. And she knew. She turns and says, Teachers, you. You're the word. You're the word that spoke me into existence. You're the word that my existence is for. It's you. You didn't forget me. You came back for me. You know me. You've spoken my name. It's you. She knows. Maybe you believe that you're going to be freed from your sin the day that you stop sinning. Maybe you believe that you're going to be freed from your anxiety and your depression the day that you stop being anxious and the day that, the day that you stop being depressed. But I can tell you as someone who loves Jesus and just, I, I do anything for Jesus, I haven't stopped sinning and I have my days of anxiety and I have my days of depression. I'm still there. But do you know what the difference is? I'm no longer afraid of the sin. I'm no longer afraid of the pain. Instead, my eyes are on 
upon Jesus. And while these things are surrounding me, my eyes, my ears, my heart can dance with my Savior that speaks to me and sings to me and uses the most beautiful, sweet word I've ever heard. He says, Danny, I came for you. I love you. So interesting. It's not like Mary says, it's you. It's almost like she says, it's, it's, it's me. I remember who made me. I remember who I was made for. Because your God speaks the sweetest sound. Not just to tell you about himself, but to show you who he is. Long before Jesus lived in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, it is prophesied that God will say, I have called you by name. You are mine. God calls you by name. You are his. Do you hear him calling your voice? Do you hear him saying your name? Do you hear him calling you his? Hear his voice, Ed. Hear his voice, Brock. Hear his voice, Taylor. Hear his voice, Allie. Hear his voice, Ashlyn. Hear his voice. Hear his voice. He calls for you. Hear his voice, Joe. Hear his voice, Dan. Hear his voice, Leo. Hear his voice, Gary. He's called your name. And it is the sweetest sound you will ever hear. And your soul will know that you were made by him and you were made for him. See his love poured out. See his love letters. See his beautiful words. It was on the night when Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke the bread and he said these words to his disciples. He said, this is my body and it's given for you. And when you eat this, remember me. Hear my voice. Then again, after supper, he took the cup. He gave thanks. He poured it out for all of them to drink. He said, this cup is the new covenant. It's my blood. It's shed for you in the forgiveness of all sins. When you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. These are the words that Jesus has for you. He still claims you as his. Let's go ahead and pray the words that Jesus taught us. It'll be on the screen behind me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Take the bread and hear this. It is the body of Christ given for you. And now with the juice, which is for the wine today, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Despair will not have the final word. Fear will not have the final word. Death will not have the final word. Christ is and has the final word. And from the cross, he proclaims, I'm winning you. It is finished. And he walks out of the grave and your death is left behind. Let your soul run to the word that you were created by and created for. Let us stand and sing. He is risen. 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 Amen.